Hey there, thoughtful listener. This is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. I'm so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. We're also actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast, the one you're listening to. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now let's get on with the show. With us right now, Michael Reddington. Michael, you're the president of Inquasive. You are found on the web at Inquasive.com. That's I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E.com. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me here, Josh. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to chat. It's You know some things, and this is really interesting. So uh, let's talk about persuasion. Let's talk about uh, negotiation, sales, and so forth. I'm, I'm excited to hear, uh, you know, kind of dig into some of your expertise on this. And I guess a great place to start is, you know, what is Inquasive? I kind of, you know, spoiler alert, I kind of tip, tip the hand a little bit. Well, I appreciate you asking. Thank you. Inquisive is an education-based organization, and we're here to teach leaders, sales professionals, negotiators how to use the truth to their advantage by applying strategic and ethical observation and persuasion techniques. My background is I'm a certified forensic interviewer, and I spent a a career in non-confrontational, that's an important disclaimer, non-confrontational interview and interrogation. And now we work with executives to teach disciplined listening, which we created by integrating the non-confrontational interview and interrogation best practices with business communication best practices. Yeah. So what does a forensic interviewer do? Interviews and interrogation. So uh, certi- being a certified forensic interviewer is a designation. It would be like being a CPA for accounting. Yeah. So it's a it's a designation that proves a level of expertise. It's not necessarily a job in and of itself. So investigators who have earned the designation of certified forensic interviewer may work in any number of fields. They may work in law enforcement, for federal agencies, in the private sector, in human resources roles, or in audit and compliance roles, investigative roles, you know, insurance banks, retail loss prevention, you know, there's any number of of places where they may work. Yeah. And so something I saw, like, for example, with your experience um, in your background is uh, something disciplined listening. What's that? Correct. So I created the disciplined listening method by integrating research and best practices from interview and interrogation with really the spectrum of business communication. And I ended up getting there, honestly, entirely by accident. Mm. When I was teaching interview and interrogation and really spending as much time working with the executives and leaders that were bringing me in to train their investigators as I was the investigators, the conversations I had with them began to really open my eyes to the synergies between how I would approach conversations in the interview room and they were approaching conversations in the boardroom. So being the nerd that I am, (laughs) I undid the leash, dove into the research and came across two very important realizations. The first one is that the best leaders and the best interrogators capitalize on the same two core skills, vision and influence. And the second one, which may be more surprising, is the cognitive process that interrogation suspects experience when they truthfully commit to saying I did it is essentially identical. 
to the cognitive processes that employees experience when they commit to saying, I'll do it, and customers experience when they commit to saying, I'll buy it. So with those realizations in my back pocket, I decided to change focus and shift from investigations to serving as an executive resource and really provide professionals with this for lack of a better word at the moment, holistic communication approach. When with disciplined listening, we really address one side of the coin, which is the strategic observation, that enhanced listening side. Mm-hmm. And on the other, it's that persuasive communication side, because really one begets the other. The more persuasive I can communicate, the more intelligence I'll be able to observe, then I can use that intelligence to continue to enhance my persuasive communication. And that cycle keeps rolling. Okay. So yes, in theory, this sounds great. In practice, what does this sound like? What does it look like? What are some best practices? What are things that we can start um, implementing into our communication style? Sure. So there's seven core behaviors and I'll just touch on them real quick. Yeah. I want to be very respectful of your audience's time. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions that you have, but it, it really starts with understanding, especially in a business context, how does every conversation we enter into potentially impact not just our short-term, but our long-term goals and then leveraging our perceived weaknesses as we prepare and create our persuasive programs or, or paths for those conversations. All too often we, we, it's difficult to truly embrace somebody else's perspective if we're really just trying to focus on the positive and why something should work, which is why we generally prepare for our conversations in, in all of the contexts that you st- that you stated earlier, not by asking what should why should somebody agree to this or mm-hmm. what do I need to say in order to convince somebody to agree to this, but we really should prepare by asking ourselves, why shouldn't they? commit to what I want them to commit to? And what do they need to experience in order to choose to commit to what I need them to commit to in order to put ourselves as close to their shoes as possible to give us the best chance at creating the commitment that we're looking for? Yeah. What book was that? Uh, Was it an influence or I'm trying to think of like, you know, talking rather than getting them to yes, getting them to no is is kind of one of those concepts where you know when when I feel like um, I have it, it, let's say I'm the uh, I'm the suspect and I'm being interrogated right and sure. and, and um, can you maybe kind of kind of go down that road a little bit more just in terms of like uh, what what that uh, you know I don't know if that rolls into like what you do but you know we want people to feel like, right, that they're, they're always in control. Like I know in sales, um, one thing I frequently, I said, listen, uh, it's completely up to you, you know, whether or not, you know, we work together or whatever, you know, um, happy to explain this. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's either a yes or no for you or, you know, A or B or whatever. Um, And so I want to keep on reminding them that I'm cool either way. Right. And it's like, you know, I want to honor where they are, who they are, what they need. Um, and so when, when people feel like, because it's like the, the opposite of that would be like, I'm going to keep on trying to push you this way, right? That's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's not effective. It related, you know, then we get into the backfire effect and all of that sort of thing. So I, I don't know, (laughs) you're the expert. I'm just kind of throwing out nonsense here. (laughs) It's not nonsense. It's not nonsense at all. And in, in fact, you hit on something that's very important to consider in any context. If we are having a conversation with somebody and they have information that we need, Mm. 
They are in control of this conversation, not us. Yeah. I don't care if your title is CEO. I don't care if you're the best salesperson on the planet. I don't care if you're the best interrogator on the planet. You are not in control of that conversation. They are because they are going to choose what information to share and under wonder, under what circumstances it's acceptable for them to share it. So one of the things that we really focus on in one of the core behaviors is being patient and letting the conversation come to you. Because mm. if we're not listening, we're not learning. And if we're not learning, if we go in thinking we've got it already figured out, I know everything that I need to, we're almost certainly going to end up, like you say, pushing in the wrong direction or pushing too many times. You know, metaphorically speaking, when we push somebody, they don't just push back. They push back harder. Oh, and yeah. They, now they become more committed. And this eventually devolves into two kids at recess that would like to walk away but can't because the girls are watching. And mm. it's not going to help either one of us. So whether we're trying to get to a yes or get to a no, because either either one could potentially work to our favor. Do we want to earn somebody's commitment in the conversation by letting them assert themselves respond with a negative, which actually serves as an affirmation somewhere else, and then hand them the, the baton, so to speak? Mm. Or are we, depending on where we are, looking to get that direct affirmation to move on? You know, contextually speaking, they both certainly offer opportunities. But as we let that conversation come to us, and potentially before we even choose which route, coming from the interrogation background, a lot of people will expect myself and, and some of my former teammates to work with them on how to catch people lying. Mm which generally is a bad idea all the way around. Yeah. Because yeah. number one, there is no single behavior that's always indicative of truth or deception. So we're making some assumptions that might be right or wrong. We're almost certainly going to have a negative emotional reaction to the perceived lie, which means now that emotion is driving from here on out what we say or do next. We could lose focus of what's most important. And people often fail to realize that the vast majority of time, especially in the context we're discussing, People don't lie to hurt you. No. They lie to protect themselves. Yeah, right. The, the number one reason why most adults will lie is to avoid a consequence that's either real or perceived. And the number one fear that will stop most adults from trying most things or accepting change or doing most things, it's embarrassment. It's not failure. So if we're helping them protect their self-image and communicating in a way where we're not causing them to feel that defensive mechanism... Now we'll have the opportunity to observe for indications of comfort and discomfort, not truth and lie. And as we yeah. see their comfort levels change, we mm. can begin to glean intelligence from that as we start to learn what are they really thinking and feeling, what's really important to them, that specific word choice, what, what emotion or, or what state of mind is that really conveying? Mm. And that can begin to help us choose the best path forward. One thing that I've learned, I, I've uh, Stephen Hassan has done a lot of work with um, cults, right? And and if you and and by the way, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of you know people who have a cult like um, uh, attachment to a, a, a belief set or political persuasion or religion, whatever it is, right? Um, is um, you know sometimes when we see, gosh from the outside, it feels like this is, there, there, there are a lot of negative consequences here and this is not good for a relationship. I'm concerned about them, you know? So one thing that he recommends is, um, you know, is getting them to tell their story. And, 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 and what I'm kind of getting to is um, I, I do this a lot in customer service, for example. Um, and I'm kind of get to the same point um, is 
sometimes uh, my wife usually lets me handle the customer service issues <laughs> because um, one thing that she's done and I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't say that is she'll go, you guys did this and you guys did that. Like if she's calling an airline or something like that, it's like, it's not that person, right? That person is not the airline or the situation. So I know one thing that I'll commonly do and it kind of, it's in that same realm of like when you're talking with someone that it, it's just, they're too strongly identified with a, a belief. You don't, you want to try to see if you can separate the two, right? And so what I'll do is in customers, in the case of customer service, I'll say, man, this is a bummer, this situation that happened. Like if this happened to you, like how would you solve this? Like, and so it's not them, it's the airline is the thing, right? That's the man. And so I want to shift my chair essentially like on their side of the table, and I want to say, you know, if you were me, like, how would you do this? Like, how would you solve this? Because this is just a sucky situation. Help me out here. Like, you know, what, what am I doing? And, and how would you, I'm sure you have some academic, uh, an academic view of like what I'm talking about. I, I, well, to call myself an academic would make a lot of really <laughs> academics very, very, very upset. So there might be a little bit more of a, a textbook view on one side, but certainly the practitioner on the other. So, and there's, there's several tie-ins there. I'll start with the customer service and work back to the cult. So yeah. anytime we need to get someone to do something that they don't want to do, that they have no motivation to do, they're not going to, customer service people aren't here to provide a service. They're here to do no. the minimum required possible to get off this call and onto the next without getting fired. Let's give them credit and acknowledge <laughs> that's what it is. Right. So for me, anytime I'm in that situation, especially if it's even potentially my mistake, if you answer the phone and you say, hey, thanks for calling the airline. This is Josh. Who am I speaking with? The very first thing I do is I wait about a full second and then say, good morning, Josh. How are you? Mm. Which is going to be get probably another two or three seconds of silence before you come back with, uh, I'm doing all right. How are you? And now I'm going to come back with, well, so far, so good, Josh. I'm Mike Reddington, and I'm really hoping that I might be able to get some assistance with the situation that honestly might be a little bit my fault. Wow. And wow. The, the percentage of success that I have with that is astronomical. So when you Why did that, you say that last line there? You just blew my mind that honestly might be my fault. Why did you say that? Because nobody else does ever. Oh, it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault, yeah. blaming somebody else. So therefore, we we really like it's that's a huge sympathy builder right there. Like this is someone that is just a nice person when you say that. Yeah. Wow. So, so to tiptoe onto that academic side and then come back, three <laughs> different research studies have shown that we are capable of judging somebody's trustworthiness and intelligence and categorizing them within a previously existing mental model, putting a label on them as fast as 100 milliseconds. It's mm. 100, 150, or 500 milliseconds, depending <laughs> on the, the mm -hmm. Now, we also carry expectations of value into every single conversation we have. And those expectations could be positive, neutral, or negative. And people react the strongest to what they hear first. They literally will latch on to the first evidence they have that Absolutely. this is either going to meet or violate my expectation. And really, we're looking for meat. Violation is like a surprise. We're looking for meat. So if we think about a customer service rep, to use this analogy a little bit longer, they're expecting for someone to treat them like garbage. They're expecting mm -hmm. for them to come out firing, maybe accusatory, certainly a little bit elevated, be very 
um, expectation or entitled in the conversation, I guarantee you in their day, well, maybe not now because your listeners hopefully will pick up on this, but I guarantee you when I start the conversation with one second of silence and then a calm, good morning, Josh, how are you? I'm the only person that started a conversation that way. Only you know, even that one second of silence, what I like about that is it interrupts what might have been a da 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 you know, it's just the same thing over. But that one second of silence is like, whoa, this is different. And different is good. I don't have to go into robo mode that I normally do. Nope. They are now just after that. And then when they, it's going to take them two seconds to answer me because they have to compute what the hell just happened. (laughs) So after they answer me, now I'm going to answer, you know, thank you very much. I'm doing well, Mike Reddington, you know, I'm hoping I can get assistance with something that might be my fault. That completely resets their entire expectation of how this call is going to go. And now makes them, I was going to say infinitely, that might be a stretch, but far more likely to actually want to help me Mm. through the rest of the conversation than the person that says, you guys screwed this up. This is your fault. You owe me, Mm. yada, yada, yada. Um, but prior to that, you had asked about um, well, like, cults too, right? Yeah, so cults. someone is like so connected. I, I know one one piece of advice that you know you know Stephen Hassan would uh, uh, talk about is like get them to tell you kind of their origin story of like you know when you first blah 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 you know before you believed like this right yeah. and like what was it that that you know and and just get them to be a little bit more introspective of they are not, you know, the, whatever their thing is, right. Sure. Uh, and, and start there. But I, I'm I would love your take on all that. Yeah. And I, I'm not the expert that's been a bunch no, of no, 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 right. Cults. So, so take, you know, in this analogy, take that with some salt. You mentioned influence before. So you're clearly also a student of Cialdini. And if you look at his seven automatic mechanisms of persuasion, the one that is by far the strongest for us is our fiendish desire to remain consistent with how we see ourselves thinking, acting, or speaking in any mm. given situation. Mm. So when we talk about persuasion, the single most important thing we can do is encourage people to protect their self-image. There are very, very few contexts. We'd have to work hard to find a context where intentionally violating somebody's self-image would likely be productive in the long term. Mm -hmm. So when we have these conversations, if anybody has an emotional attachment that we're working with, cults, not cults, whatever, the first thing we've got to do is work hard to protect their self-image because they're probably used to people attacking them, calling them crazy or whatever else. And that's where they have their defenses set. So several ways that we can do that. One is we need to be careful. All too often, we end up searching for rational solutions to emotional problems. And as we try to smash that square peg into that round hole, we make the situation worse and our rational brain can't figure out why, but we're speaking two different languages. So when we enter into the conversation, there's a technique that we love to use. And there's there's many. And I, I like the, the technique of tell me your story and get the origin yeah. story because now they have the opportunity to lead the conversation. They're not feeling judged. They're embarrassed. And there's a ton of work to do there. Yeah. If we're going to change this conversation to a degree where we want them to start being vulnerable, maybe opening up about some doubts or some things they saw but never took action on. One of the things that we live, one of the, I guess, the the mantras that we live by is illustrate before you investigate. 
So before I ever ask somebody a difficult question, I want to either illustrate my understanding of the situation or better yet, give them an excuse or a reason to answer it before I even ask. So that way they've lined up their self-image with the reason to answer before I ever pop the question, which significantly increases the likelihood I'm going to get more at least of what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So in that context, we may say something along the lines of the more we talk to people who have who have been involved in organizations like this, we mm-hmm. have found that there have been periods of time where they have observed things that you know they kind of had to stop and question for a minute. It mm. might have been how women were treated. It might have been how children were treated. It might have been how uh, somebody who was a leader within the organization said we were supposed to act in a situation, but then they saw them acting differently in the yeah. same situation. And in these moments, people think, well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't feel right. But because of their passionate belief, it's right. very easy to, to justify it, rationalize it and move on. So Josh, if I had to just to compare this conversation to some others that I had, even if you just look over like the last year that you were with them, how many times would you say that you were kind of caught off guard with something you observed that you didn't expect? What I love about that is you've normalized, um, I don't want to say dissension, but you've normalized, like, it's okay to like, and we hear this a lot, you know, that people are thinking critically, about X, right? Yeah. And if and if you are, well, that's totally normal, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I love that that perception. What we're presuming here, what we're introducing, so it's almost you know we're letting them off the hook. And if you know what, very we almost always hear people have something you know to complain about, whatever you know, some some sort of disassociation with the the culty type thing, whatever it is. And I, by the way, I bring this up because um, it, it's, um, you know, it, and we see this a lot in social media where, you know, people are just so aligned with an ideology that it's, you know, you really can't. And I, I really think that it's been illustrated in, gosh, it was a social media documentary on Netflix last year, I think, kind of, you know, really explained the problem. And I, and I really think it's it's a major concern. Um, is you know our inability uh, to think rationally, objectively, and 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 or allow ourselves to be wrong, uh, and, and how huge that is, uh, and I'm sure that comes up quite a bit in conversations or interrogations. People just don't want to be wrong. They don't. People don't want to be judged. They do not want to feel judged. And it is extremely difficult. You know, think about the average buyer's remorse. You know, the the stereotypical example, it's January 25th. I got some buddies coming over to watch the Super Bowl. I just happen to be driving by Best Buy. I'm going to go check out some TVs. Oh, that one's on sale. I want to impress my buddies. I'll buy this TV, which I've never done anything like this before. My wife will tell you that I get buyer's remorse buying a pack of bubble gum. Seriously. (laughs) <laughs> so if, if I end up splurging on this TV, I hang it up on my, and I feel great hanging it up, set up the living room. This is going to feel awesome. Then the next morning I wake up, walk past, I'm like, well, what the hell did I do that for? I can use that money. My TV worked perfectly. I didn't need a new one. And in that situation, I would immediately start rationalizing it because our brains hate discomfort and inconsistency yeah. more than anything else. And that process has real negative connotations where if somebody has aligned themselves with one of these ideologies, whatever it may be, it can be very hard for them to disassociate because it is inconsistent. 
So yes. Our, yeah. Our brains are literally wired to look for information that confirms what we already think and feel. Yeah. Confirmation bias. Big yeah, time. Information that contradicts it. So unfortunately, as technology has advanced, big tech, big data, they have the science behind how our brain works. They oh, yeah. know it. And, and people love, love their bubbles. And, and they operationalize it. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. I'm not here to say what's ethical, unethical, what's right. good, what's evil, but there are absolutely people that are designing social media platforms and conversations. And these aren't just the hackers from other countries who are sowing disinformation. The people that are building these applications mm-hmm. absolutely know the psychological and cognitive mechanisms they're taking advantage of, and they're doing it intentionally. And yet people line up for it time after time after time. Yeah. Do you have a few more minutes or do you have a hard stop yeah. right now? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Um, so when somebody, like who do you typically work with and what does engagement look like for you? So the three areas that I generally work with the most are CEOs and leadership, sales teams, and HR teams. So mm-hmm. with the leadership teams, we're typically working through those leadership conversations and they can run the gamut. How do we increase, when we think about our brands as leaders, Our personal brands as leaders are built on the foundation of how people perceive us as listeners and empathetic communicators. Everything else comes after that. doesn't matter what company you're the CEO of and how much money you make. People will often perceive us based on how they perceive our listening skills. So we really work with them, whether it is coaching and advising, whether it is negotiating, whether it is working with board members, in that whole spectrum of leadership conversations, how to really maximize not only the results they achieve, but their perception as listeners as well. The sales team, you know, that pretty much speaks for itself. We're working on really maximizing their influence and their conversations to increase commitment over compliance in the buying process. And with the HR teams, that can go in any number of ways, from candidate interviewing to conflict resolution to coaching and employee engagement and all of that. And really, the the engagements that we do, we, we custom design every single one because the outcomes are more important than where we start. So they could be multi-year, multi-month engagements, all the way down to keynote presentations, depending on mm. what somebody is looking for. But they really are custom designed around the outcomes that are desired and the contextual factors that are unique to everybody. And within the organization, are you working with sales directors? You're working with anyone involved in negotiation, I would imagine? Yeah. So if it's leadership, I'm typically entering somewhere in at that C-suite or or VP Mm -hmm. level and working, whether it's directors up on the sales side. Yes. It almost always starts with that VP or director of sales and then Mm -hmm. down to the sales team. And then the same thing on the HR side, on the HR side and a bit on the leadership side too, we often will have the management team involved. So whether that's mid or frontline, depending on the organization, especially if we're working on hiring or coaching to make sure that these conversations are being used as models for our company culture and what we expect across the board. Yeah. Michael, this has been a great conversation. Um, your website uh, on the web is inquasive.com, I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E.com. When somebody goes to the website, what should they click on? Where do they go? What do they do? If they're looking to find, and thank you for for asking, if they're looking to find out more about what we do, 
I recommend that the first place they go is the media tab because there they'll find videos, speaking videos. They'll find podcasts. This will be up there as soon as as soon as I have it from you. Uh, they'll find articles that I've written and really get a, a much more in-depth understanding of what we do and how. And then after that, they can go check out the different programs we have and who we've worked with and those types of things. And certainly there's the opportunity for them to reach out on any potential program they'd like to learn more about. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm just looking over all of your podcast episodes already here. That's terrific. So good. Inquasive.com. Michael Reddington, your president. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Josh. Stay safe. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, we have an audience of over 120,000 that we would love to promote your story to. Please visit upmyinfluence.com guest. I'm also so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? Well, we will promote you and retweet you and reshare re you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up in your podcast player right now? Please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review, and we promise to read it all and take action. Thank you if you've done this already. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 to 20 minutes a day. My name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.